I was telling Chris, um, our worship pastor here, um, that there's really no need for me to preach. Um, Jamie here told me that there was no need for me to preach. Um, that is the explicit gospel, people. Praise God that you get that all throughout here at this church. Man, I'm so thankful for that. Uh, Chris and I had a, a really sweet moment um, uh, just now, um, just, you know, kind of affirming each other, and then he, before he walks off, he proceeds to tell me that he was so kind that he would put these mic stands down um, <laughs> for you people on the wing so that you could see me. So, praise God for a sense of humor. Man, I'm excited to uh, be here this morning to get to preach uh, God's Word. My name is Sam Riley. I'm the student pastor here. I work with our students and our college students and whatever else we need to do here. I'm thankful to be here. Um, before we get started, I just want to thank you, the church. And this is kind of on behalf of uh, me, uh, Caleb, our pastor, and Chris, our worship pastor. Um, thank you, church, for being so uh, amazing. Uh, there's a month, I don't know who made this a thing, uh, but there's a month that, that um, is called Pastor Appreciation Month. And you guys are always so intentional to show us how much you appreciate you. Um, I think it would be a lot harder for maybe three of us to show however many people, 250 people, how much we appreciate you. But I am just telling you in a few amount of words that, man, we are thankful to be here. We are so thankful to serve at a church, and I, I feel confident to be able to speak um, for Caleb and for Chris and myself. We're so thankful to get to serve here, man. This is a healthy church, uh, and you are people that love Jesus and are on fire for Jesus. And, man, that just makes it awesome to get to serve here. Um, so this morning, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn uh, to Romans chapter 5. Any person that gets up in front of you and is given the task of preaching God's Word, that is a heavy task, a huge task. Um, I've oftentimes had conversations with Caleb of there's so much in the Scriptures. As we study this during the week, there's so much here. There's so much here. And then we are given the task to come and try to take what's here, here, and here and try to preach that to you guys. That is hard to do. Um, this morning, Romans chapter 5 is rich with the gospel. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read 1 through 11. We're going to primarily look at 1 through 8 as the um, main part of our passage, and then we're going to kind of leave with application in verse 11. I say all that to say um, I have a lot here and here, and there's most definitely a lot here. Um, I hope uh, that today um, we do that justice. Praise God that his word speaks uh, for itself. Romans 5, chapter 1, uh, Romans 5, Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of God, not only that, but we, re we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame 
But because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, we were, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. God, I come to you right now, and I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for the explicit gospel. I pray, God, as we approach this passage of Scripture this morning, Lord, as the prayer has been all week, that our hearts would be in tune with yours, um, that our hearts would be worshipful. God, I pray as I preach this word that you would hide me behind your word. I pray, God, that we would that you would open our ears and our hearts to receive the word that you have for us. And I pray, God, that as we leave this place, we would leave full of joy, knowing that we have been reconciled by the blood of Jesus. God, we love you and we praise you. Amen. This morning, we're going to kind of be flipping around. I'm going to kind of be flipping around to several different supplemental scriptures. So don't worry, you don't have to do that. I don't want to see smoke coming up from the Bible pages as you guys try to uh, keep going with what I'm doing. We're going to have those uh, up on the screen because we have an awesome team back here that does that for us. So just as we do that, try to follow along and you can look at the screen. So don't, I don't want you to have to worry about um, trying to follow along with me. So as we look at Romans chapter 5, uh, in verse 1, just starting in verse 1, you see a phrase and it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Just there, as it continues, when we see that, you've probably heard this phrase before. If you see the phrase, therefore, you have to ask, what is it there for? So for us to understand what Paul is trying to teach in Romans chapter 5, it's essential for us to understand the basis, the basis of Paul's argument in chapter 4 concerning Abraham a man of faith, really his argument in all of chapters 1 through 4 leading up to chapter 5. You'll notice as we open is what we just read. It says, therefore, we have been justified by faith. Paul here is referring back to his argument in chapter 4 that justification is by faith alone. Abraham is the example that he uses for the basis of this argument. Paul specifically is addressing God's covenant with Abraham. God's promise to Abraham was that his offspring would be according to the number of the stars and that his offspring would come from his blood. We find that in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. And it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And, I, and Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my house, household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven. 
and number the stars if you're able to. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be, verse 6, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Righteousness was counted to Abraham because he believed He believed, he had faith that God would do what he promised. This is the basis of Paul's argument here. His argument is that just as Abraham was justified by his faith, by his belief in God, so are we. Paul states that plainly in Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. He says in Romans 4, verse 13, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring." Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That is why, notice here in verse 22, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. Man, this is good. But for ours also. It would be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. What we see in Genesis, in Romans 4, 13 through 25 is the faith of Abraham. We see that his justification was by his faith, not the things that he did, but by his belief in God. And what it says in in verse 22 of Romans 4, uh, 13 through 25, what we just read, he says that it's it's for ours also. It's going to be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. God the judge has counted us the guilty as not guilty. The evidence against you and I is stacked against us. The odds are not in our favor. Yet God the judge looks at his perfect son, the God-man Jesus, and declares the verdict as not guilty. When he looks at us, he sees Jesus. On the day of judgment, we stand in front of God. For those of us who have faith, have placed our faith and our trust in Jesus, we have one answer. That answer is not, well, we I tried. Man, I tried. I, for the most of my life, I would think that I was pretty good. No, we have one answer. The only answer that you and I have on the day of judgment is Jesus himself. Praise God that he looks at his son Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, and declares that we are not guilty. 
Understanding that we have been justified by our faith is essential because it's not a work of our own. Our faith is not in our ability, but rather the work of Jesus. This is the only means by which Christians can live in this world with peace and with hope. The peace and hope would not be so if it were not for the reconciliation that we have in Jesus. Two parties, alienated parties, enemies of of one another, apart from each other, brought together in peace by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is reconciliation. This morning, my desire is that we would leave this place rejoicing because we have been reconciled by the blood of Jesus. Our title this morning is to rejoice in reconciliation. Our first point this morning, it answers the question, why? Why do we rejoice in reconciliation? Well, we rejoice in reconciliation because we have peace. We rejoice in reconciliation because we have peace. Verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 1, Paul says that because of our believing faith in Jesus, we are at, a, we are at peace with God. I want you to notice something that's very important here. At the, at the end of verse 1, it says we are at peace with God. It doesn't end there. We are at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For us to understand the peace that we have with God, we, we must first understand that for all of us, there was a time where we did not have peace with God. That's the point of reconciliation. It's two alienated parties, enemies of one another, being brought together in a peaceful relationship. You look at what Chris said uh, 10 minutes ago. You point back to the fall. You look at Adam. You see the sin of man enter the world. You see that man is not sufficient to pay for the cost of our wage, right? We are not able to pay for that cost. God knew that. He sent his son, Jesus. Jesus chose to be the sacrifice so that you and I could have a relationship with Christ. He did that so that you and I could have peace. He did that so that you and I could talk about what it means for us to be reconciled this morning. Just by that, just by what we've already talked about, we understand that we are saved by our faith in Christ. Because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, we have been made right with God Because we have been made right with God, we are at peace with God. We are no longer enemies, we are heirs. We are no longer in conflict, we're at peace. We're no longer apart, we're reconciled. We've been brought together. This is a peace like no other. John 14, 27 states this so well. This is Jesus talking here. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Notice this. Not as the world gives, do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The peace that we have comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a peace like no other. This is not merely a peace that takes away the anxiety and the worry of the world and just makes us feel happy, though it does. It indeed does, but it goes so much deeper than that because we have been made right by the peace of God. We have been made right because of the peace. It means that we are in right standing with God. Peace that is only possible through the work of Jesus. This peace is only a peace that is given to those who have placed their faith in God. When we look at what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 5, he is addressing Christians. He's talking to those who have 
actively placed their faith and trust in Jesus. This is who he's referring to. Praise God that it's not just for some, but it's for all those who would call upon the name of Jesus. As Christ followers, our standing with God will never again be in question. This is no process. This is not something that happens later in the future, but rather something that, hap- that has happened once for all, for eternity, for those that have come in faith in Christ. I love in the Gospel of John, I can't remember exactly where it talks about, but it talks about eternity and experiencing eternity with Christ. And John talks about how it's not just uh, eternity in when we leave this earth in the new heaven and the new earth, but it's an eternity that we get to live through and realize now, and that eternity is knowing God. He continues in verse 2, he says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we look in verse 2, we see that we have received the most amazing and undeserved gift of all. Through faith in Jesus, we have received access to the grace that God has given us through Jesus. When I think of this access that we have been granted, it makes me think of uh, our time in Hebrews, uh, specifically in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. To save on our time, I won't read verses 9 through 10. What it talks about in verses 9 through 10 it talks about the, um, the temple, the tabernacle, and it's talking about how there are only certain people that are able to go into the holy place. The priest, the high priest, are able to do this. And he, he, whoever the author of Hebrews was, he brings that point around to say in verse 11 that it's not only the high priest that can do that now, but it says here in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 9, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, Even through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. The only way that you and I have access to be able to commune with God is because of the blood sacrifice of Jesus that was sufficient once for all. He continues here to say, we have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. Grace is something that no human could ever deserve. In its very definition, it's unmerited favor. This means that there is nothing that you and I could ever do, could ever possibly do to receive God's grace. We see this in Romans 3, uh, verses 23 through 24. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 6 and verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. The truth is we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is a price for our sin. That price was paid through the sacrifice of the perfect God-man, Jesus. The wrath that you and I deserved, the wage for sin, Jesus took it upon himself. He was the propitiation for our sin. God's wrath was satisfied in his son, Jesus. He took it upon himself. What is our reaction Our reaction is to boast, not in ourselves, but to boast in Christ and in him alone. Ephesians, good grief, Chris. 
Well, it's not going to get in my way of uh, seeing you guys, but if I use my hands like that, it might. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, it shows us that we boast in Christ and Christ alone. Look along with me in Ephesians 2 and verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are able to stand firm in the grace that we are given because that grace does not rest upon our merit. That grace rests upon Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We stand in that grace because Jesus has defeated sin. We stand here today. We sit here today. For those of you who know Christ, you stand, you sit as a victor. The battle has already been won. Paul continues in verse 2 to show that our response is to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. He says that through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand What do we do? We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Our response is to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in a future that has already been written. We rejoice in a hope that is sure. We rejoice in a hope that promises that in the last day we will be glorified and perfected. That hope, the hope that we have in Christ, it squashes all fear that we have on this earth. What do we do with that? What is our reaction to that? Well, we rejoice in knowing that there will come a day where we will not suffer through pain, depression, anxiety, cancer, infidelity, broken homes, wayward children, death, addiction, the relapse of sinful patterns, and to encapsulate that all, We rejoice in knowing that there will no more be a wicked world ridden with sin and all that comes with it. Praise God that we are able to rejoice in the fact that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Rejoice. My call to you is to rejoice even now as you suffer through life on earth because you have been reconciled by the blood of Jesus. Our reaction should be full of joy. A great illustration to talk about the rejoicing that we have in Jesus. It comes from a song written by Jeremy Camp. Many of you have probably heard this song before. The title of that song is, There Will Be a Day. Just an excerpt, a verse from that song. It says this, There will be a day with no more tears, no more pain, and no more fears. There will be a day when the burdens of this place will be no more. We'll see Jesus face to face. But until that day, notice this here, until that day as we wait, we will hold on to you always. Revelation 21 and verse 4 says, He will wipe away every tear. This is talking about the new heaven and the new earth. John is talking here. He says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. As we remain in these last days, as we live and function in life on this earth, we must hold fast to the hope that we have in Christ. To rejoice because there will be a day where the burdens of this place will be no more. Christians, we have something to look forward to. A joy, a future, an eternity that has been set before us. Paul continues this. He says in verse 3, Not only that, 
but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Paul continues to show us that even in the midst of our suffering, we can rejoice. Paul says that we can rejoice in our sufferings because that suffering is not meant for nothing. That suffering produces endurance. That suffering produces perseverance. Because of the suffering that we face, we know that there is something greater ahead. Because we know that there is something greater ahead, a future that is sure, we are able to endure. We are able to endure the harsh reality of this world. For us to persevere, we are doing something Persistent in doing something despite the difficulty, despite the delay. As we live and we walk and we breathe on this earth, we must continue to persist in being obedient and living our lives for Christ. Despite the difficulty and despite the time that we wait on God to take us from this earth so that we would be in eternity with him. The suffering that we face as Christ followers, it matters. It counts for something. It produces steadfastness in us. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, arguably gives us the best example of what this suffering looks like. James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We know as Christ followers that our suffering is not for, it's not for nothing. It produces in us a stronger and deeper hope, a stronger and deeper faith, a stronger and deeper trust in the one whom has proven himself faithful. On the contrary, for those that die without knowing Christ, their suffering on this earth will be made much worse, much worse in a place called hell, in eternity in hell. There's no benefit. There's no benefit for those that don't know Jesus and the suffering that they have on earth, only to look forward to more suffering. For those of us who are Christians, we know that our suffering forces us to rely on Christ. In those times that we see God's, it's in those times that we see God's faithfulness highlighted. It's in those times, though the suffering seems great, and maybe you're there right now, maybe you, are, you have a time, time lapse reel flashing in your head of all the times of difficulty that you have gone through to then notice and be reminded of all the times that God has been faithful. Though the times of suffering are great, Oftentimes we look back and say that God is greater than the suffering that we went through. God's character shines brighter than the suffering that we face. It shines brighter because we know and can rejoice in the fact that there will be a day where the burdens of this place will be no more. What a sad life to live apart from Christ. A life of no purpose. But for those of us who know Jesus, have a relationship with him, we can live in the joy of knowing him now even as we suffer, because we know that there is a day that's coming that's going to be better. Knowing this should change our outlook on life on earth. This should cause us to press on. We can endure the suffering because we hope in the promise of better days in eternity with our Lord. This is not a hope uh, in the way that we, man, we just, I sure hope that this happens. This is a sure hope, a hope, a hope that has already been guaranteed, that was guaranteed through the defeating of sin, the resurrection from the grave, Jesus defeating sin. It was secured then, a hope that we look forward to should change the way that we view 
life on earth. When I think about this, I can't help but to think about my grandparents. I've been blessed with amazing grandparents that love Jesus. In my mind, they are legends of the faith. Uh, many of you may can uh, relate uh, to that, but I've had uh, specific conversations with uh, my papa and my papa about life on earth. Well, truth is, they're probably on the later half of that um, with their age, and the wisdom that they talk about and the outlook that they have on life is such an appropriate view of life. Those two men have lived enough life, suffered enough on this earth to know that there is something greater that they're looking forward to. There will be a day that I will have to preach their funerals. And likely, um, that sooner rather than later, God, I hope that you hold on as long as you possibly can, um, with that, but there will be a day that I have to preach their funeral, and I will with joy preach the fact that they love Jesus, that they know Jesus, that their view of life was that I'm here temporarily, and I'm longing for something greater. What an appropriate view to have of this life on earth. Man, Paul and James, they both see this reality as reason for rejoicing. They understand that rejoicing to be a choice that we declare even in our hardest circumstances as God's good for us in the sense that he is calling us closer and to trust him more deeply. He continues in verse 4. Verse 3 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance, verse 4, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Bear, me, bear with me for a moment. This first-generation iPad's giving me fits. Paul continues in verse 4 to build he continues this also into verse 5. He continues by saying that the endurance or the perseverance that we receive from our suffering, it in turn produces character. It produces Christian character. Our character is what defines us. The suffering that you and I face, as I've already mentioned above, forces us to rely on Christ. As we rely on Christ, we find ourselves in situations of suffering that forces us to be reliant on the faithfulness of Christ. And oftentimes we see that that produces steadfastness in us. It's unwavering. It produces us to trust deeply, more deeply in the character of Christ, to trust that God will remain faithful. It's an illustration that I've used oftentimes when I think about steadfastness in our lives. It's like taking a stake and a sledgehammer and driving it into the ground. You can hit that stake a couple of times and it'll stick in the ground, but it's very easy to remove that. As you continue to hit the stake with the sledgehammer, it continues to be driven deeper. As it's continuing to go deeper, it's a lot harder for you to remove it. It's pretty basic science to understand that the deeper it goes, the harder it is to remove. It's no different in our faith in Jesus. It's no different in the, the sufferings that we face on this earth. We will suffer, most certainly. Many of you may be doing that right now, and you are sure to continue to do that as we are on this earth. But as Christ followers, as we continue to place our faith and our hope in Jesus in those times of difficulty... Our faith continues to be driven deeper and deeper and deeper. 
Suffering causes us to trust God at a deeper level. As we continue to trust God, we grow to know and trust his faithfulness. In turn, that produces Christian character in us. It produces a character that is battle-tested. It is a battle-tested faith because we know, because we've been through the moments of suffering, and we know that we can call back to the times and say, God was faithful. Why won't he do it again? He most certainly will do it again. This is a type of character that causes us to more and more make choices that honor God. Why? Because we personally know that God has proven himself faithful. It's kind of like me and texting people back. You guys know because you've texted me a ton of times, you know that I'm always going to text back. A lot of you guys don't know how bad of a texter I really am, um, but that is the furthest thing from the truth. I am a terrible texter. And my character is, you know that I'm not going to text you back, so most of you call me. That's a silly illustration. Let's move on. He continues to build. Paul continues to build in verse 5, and he says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Finally, our character produces hope. This hope is confidence that God will deliver what he has promised. The hope that we have in Christ promises that we will receive God's good forever, not only in eternity, but even now. Bible ref, a commentary that I use a lot, it it says it this way, defines it great. It says, hope defines the baseline or a bottom line for a Christian's thoughts and emotions. This is a great line. Our hope in Christ is the foundation that our thoughts and our emotions are built on. Thoughts and emotions that are contingent on sure future glory with Christ. The way that we feel about what our life is like on earth, the way our thoughts and our emotions as we look at what's going on in our country and countries apart from us, our thoughts and our emotions are not contingent on those things. If you are a Christ follower in this room this morning, your thoughts, your emotions to whatever happens on this earth is contingent on a future that has already been set for you in glory with Christ. That doesn't mean that there will be absolutely no fear that we live with on this earth. God understands that, but that fear has its proper place. That fear pales in comparison to the promise of God. How could we not rejoice in that? How can we come into this place and sit with long faces and not rejoice in what God has done in our lives. When you figure it out, let me know. Because it's hard. It's hard to do that. There are so many different things that Satan uses to attack us, to take away the joy that we have in Christ, to take away the joy for us to rejoice in knowing that, hey, life may be terrible right now, but I have something much greater to look forward to. Paul wraps this chain of thought up in verse 5 to say that our hope in Christ does not put us to shame. Our hope in Christ will be proven right. There will be no shame in our hope because in the end there will be no disappointment. We will not be disappointed in placing our faith and our trust in Christ, trusting in the sure hope of eternity that he has promised. We can be confident in this truth because God has poured his love into us through his Holy Spirit. The important word here that I want you to notice in verse 5 is love. Some things that are true. God is powerful. We would agree. God is good. God is perfect. He's able to do no wrong. Simply because of those character traits, we can trust that God will keep his promises. 
praise God that it goes much deeper than that. We have confidence that he will be faithful because he loves us. We can be confident that he will be faithful because he loves us. He loves and cares for us, his creation, so deeply that we can be sure that he will be faithful. As Christians, we understand that love differently because that love, God's love, resides in us because we have the Holy Spirit residing in us. The love of God that you and I receive is divine. It's supernatural. It's like no other, it is like no other love that you could ever experience on earth. It's a love that it's hard for us to explain to other people. It's a love that amongst Christians, we, we understand that we can agree to disagree that well, I can't explain it. I can't explain why God loves me the way that I do. My hope for you, my hope for me, is that that type of love would reside in me so much that it causes people to ask questions. That it causes people to wonder, how can you love in a situation like that? How can you show forgiveness to someone who has repeatedly done you wrong? How can you continue to show love to that person? Truth is, you have one answer. Because God has given that love to me through his Holy Spirit. We are able to rejoice in reconciliation because we are justified by our faith in Christ. Being in right standing with God means that we are no longer enemies of God, but rather we are at peace with God. The reason we can, we can rejoice is because we have peace with God. Absolutely none of that would have been possible if it was not for the great sacrifice of Jesus himself. Therefore, how do we rejoice in reconciliation? How can we rejoice in reconciliation? We rejoice in reconciliation because we have peace. The how is because of the peacemaker. Our second and our final point, we'll be wrapping up quickly. We rejoice how we do that because of the peacemaker. All of the things that we've just looked at in Romans 5, 1 through 5, the benefits of knowing Jesus, the hope that we have in suffering, what that produces in us is endurance, the hope that does not put us to shame because we trust in a future glory that has been set before us, a victory that has already been won. Every bit of that came at a cost. Every bit of that came at a cost. Verse 6, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verses 1 through 5, you see the wonderful benefits of being a follower of Christ. As we look at verses 6 through 8, we see the reason why you and, you and I are able to rejoice in the hope that we have in Christ. We rejoice in the reconciliation that has been made possible through Christ. We finish verse 5 by looking at the reason why we were able to be confident that God will keep his promises. It's most certainly because he said that he would. It's most certainly because he is a powerful God. It's most certainly because he is a perfect God who is able to do no wrong. But more than that... Deeper than that, he cares for and loves us, his creation, deeply. The greatest act of love that this world will ever know has manifested itself in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Apart from the provision of Jesus Christ, we are weak, helpless, useless individuals with no purpose in this life. 
There was and there is no possible way for you and I to bring ourselves into right standing with God. That's why you see in verse 6 that at the right time Christ died. He satisfied the payment that we owe. He rose again. He defeated sin that, so you and I could no longer be condemned by our sin, but rather have the opportunity to place our faith and our trust in Jesus and confess him as Lord. Jesus defeated sin. He rose again, defeating sin so that you and I could have an opportunity to place our faith and our trust in him. God's motivation to save us, God's motivation to save We as wicked, sinful people, his motivation was his love for his creation. A love that we will never fully understand this side of eternity. And truly, truly the only love that's unconditional. Truly the only love that is unconditional. The salvation that God offers mankind is contingent on his perfect grace, not our imperfect merit. Our works... Our merit could never live up to the moral standard of a holy God, of a perfect God. Paul here in verse 7, he gives us an illustration to show how huge it was that Jesus gave his life for mankind who are the furthest from righteous or good. The beauty here is that none of us are even close to righteous. None of us are even close to good. And yet Jesus, he gave his life for us so that you and I could have life in him. He gave his life for me and you, so that we would place our faith and our trust in him and have life in him. Verse 8, it says, But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why on earth would God do such a thing? Can you actually wrap your mind around why God would, would do that? I can't. But he tells us why he did it. He says it's because God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's because of his love for us. We don't have to settle by only taking God's word for it. Look at the evidence. Look at the evidence and you see the proof of God's love for you. We in the century and the time that we live in, we read this. We are blessed to have the whole Bible. Some may say, you may sit here and say this morning, man, if I could just have only seen Jesus on the cross. Or if I could just have only seen him do these miracle acts that I would believe. God has given us more than proof. More than just his word to show us that. God's, Jesus' resurrection, him being on the cross, go and search history. It's proven. It's been proven that this actually happened. There is evidence that shows that God loves you. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. You and I are separated from sin. We have a sickness, a disease that no man on this earth could ever cure. God knew that. That's why we talk about Jesus. That's why God sent Jesus, his son, to be the perfect sacrifice because Jesus was the only one who could satisfy the wrath of God. He did that. He defeated sin. He rose again, defeating sin so that we could have a relationship with him. God doesn't ask you to be a good person. 
He doesn't ask you to do more good than bad, though a person who loves Jesus will desire, because the Holy Spirit has put it in us, we will desire to do good. We will desire to be obedient to God. But God doesn't ask us to give us these list of rules to say, hey, if you check these off, you can be my follower. I'll save you if you do these things. God asks that we would place our faith and our trust, not in our own ability, not in our own works but the perfect work of Jesus Christ. For those of us in this room this morning that have done that, you have one response to this message that we've heard this morning. Your response is to rejoice, to rejoice in the reconciliation that has been given by the blood of Jesus. That reconciliation, you rejoice in such a way that that changes the way that you treat people. That changes the way that you leave this room. This changes the way tomorrow when you wake up to go to a job that you don't really want to go to. It changes the way that you view that. It changes the way that you function around people. It changes because God has promised us better days. He has promised us a sure hope of eternity, a place that is much better than this. That being said, we don't sit idle by in the days that we live in today. But we have a purpose in our life. We have a purpose in the suffering. Our purpose is to make name, is to make great the name of Jesus. And to, to wear the rejoicing on you, that it exudes from you, that you are rejoicing in the reconciliation that was accomplished by the blood of Christ. My encouragement, my call to you this morning, unbeliever, Worship band, you guys can come on up. My call is that you would place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. The evidence is there. No matter what you have in your head, no matter all the ways that Satan tries to convince you that you are, you will, you will always pale in comparison. God doesn't want you. It's a lie. The truth is you do pale in comparison. Truth is you aren't worthy. You never will be. But God doesn't require that. God says to place your faith and trust in Jesus, the perfect God-man, the perfecter of our faith. Trust in that and the hope that he gives, knowing that he is faithful, knowing that he has been faithful and that he has delivered. My call to you this morning is to not run from that, not be convinced otherwise by the lies that Satan tries to put in your head, but understand that God desires to have a relationship with you. You want to know how? And how you can know that that's true. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus. He did that for you. He did that for me. His creation. Because God loves us. And he desires to have a relationship with you. And if you desire to have a relationship with God. There's nothing stopping you from that. Place your faith and your trust in Jesus. And confess him as Lord. I want to wrap up by reading verse 11. Romans 5, verse 11. This is our response. This is, how, this is how we go out this morning. More than that, Romans 5, verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Rejoice in the fact that God has saved you. It is so easy for us to be blinded by the world that I think sometimes we just really forget how awesome it is that we have been saved. Really how awesome it is that you and I are able to rejoice 
in the fact that we have been alienated. At one time, we were alienated from God. We were apart from God. But because of the blood of Jesus, we have been brought together in peace and can have a relationship with him, not contingent on what you do, but contingent on the perfect work of Jesus. Rejoice in the reconciliation that you have in Christ.